And Susan Collenberg. Freedom to Choose is brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit that gives hope and help to those lost in addiction. Rich and Susan are a husband and wife team who found grace and freedom from 20 years of addiction to drugs and alcohol. They broke free from their bondage 15 years ago and are here to share their experience of God's power in recovery. God can change lives. Now, here's Rich and Susan with freedom to choose. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Freedom to Choose. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. Susan, what is Freedom to Choose and who are we? Well, let's answer the second question first. We are a husband and wife team that have um, been free from addiction for over 15 years. We both um, were living in addiction for 50 years total. And we're here so that we can tell people about the power of God and the power of the freedom to choose. This series, Freedom to Choose, is specifically designed to give hope and help to anyone out there who needs it. Susan, could you please open the program with a word of prayer? Yes. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have to share your love and your power with people who are listening right now. We pray now that you will send your Holy Spirit to be with us and to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Susan. So you ask, why the title, Freedom to Choose? Well, I know for me, when I was in my addiction, the devil told, had me thoroughly convinced that I could not live without drugs and that I had no choice. And that's a lie, folks. In fact, science has proven that we do have a choice. Now, uh, I came across some interesting stuff. I do a lot of reading on addiction and things like that, and I came across a very interesting exper experiment. Um, World-famous brain surgeon Dr. Wilder Penfield described some of his experiences in probing the exposed brain of conscious patients undergoing surgery for epileptic seizures. In other words, these people were conscious, but he's probing their exposed brain. So I'm hoping you get a mental picture of that. He's got the top of the coconut off, and he's probing with the, and I'm not sure how much electricity he's using, maybe 10 millivolts or so, and he's probing around in there. Now, while probing the brain, the subject begins to relive an earlier period of time in the greatest of detail. Thus, the various sensory components of the event become present, such as visual, auditory, the sense of smell, everything, you're there. So he sticks it in and probes, and when the electricity hits the brain, the patient begins to relive the past and everything is there. Your sense of smell, you see it, you taste it, you are there. The neurological sequence is run off in real-time sequence as the action goes forward, but never backwards. He described it similar to a one-way street forward from any point at which the stimulation makes an entrance into it. Penfield compared the action to a movie film. Interesting. And we'll use that term a little bit later. So, Let's say he's probing around your brain and he probes in there. He might pick you up at age five, reading your first book. Maybe he moves the probe and the next thing you know, you're sitting at the dinner table reading the newspaper. And he moves the probe a little more and maybe you are listening to a song 
and a song comes through so clearly. Every time he moves that probe, he moves you back in time somewhere. He concludes, and this is the part I find very interesting. Since the electrode activated a random sample of the strip from the distant past, and since most of the unimportant and completely forgotten periods of time may appear in this sampling, it seems reasonable to suppose that the brain's record is complete and that it really does include all periods of each individual's waking conscious life. That's incredible. It's all there. It's all the up whole there. record. That sounds biblical to me. It does. And that is amazing. But he concludes something else also, and this is what perked my attention, really got my attention. Penfield would then speak to the patients at this time. The patient would either listen to Penfield or continue to watch the movie. By choosing to listen to Penfield in conversation, the patient was able to shut off the effects of the electric probe. Penfield concludes, the will of man is free. Man can no doubt choose what to dwell on. Now this is very important. Choosing what to dwell on is so important in addiction recovery. And I'd like to tell you a little story about something that happened to me not too long ago. Um, my past has been riddled with miscues. I made a lot of mistakes. About 14 years ago, I got clean and sober from methamphetamine, alcohol, you name it. But what happened was I was driving down a street that I had not driven down in a long, long time. And as I drove down this street, things became more and more familiar. And when I got to the corner, I looked over at the corner, and yes, there was the person I thought that lived there. Now, I hadn't thought about or been to this place in 14 years. But there he was, standing on the corner, and a chill ran down my spine. And I went around the corner, and I pulled over. And I was impressed to go back, but I was afraid. But I turned around and went back, and there he was, standing on the driveway. So I pulled over, and I walked up, and I said, Mickey how you doing? And he smiled, and then I knew everything was going to be all right. And I walked over to him, but he didn't walk over to me. In fact, his hand was kind of curled up, and he limped a little bit. And I said, Mickey, what happened? He said, I had a stroke. I said, when? He said, about three months ago. You see, Mickey never quit using methamphetamine. And 14 years ago, him and I parted our ways. And I was standing in the very same spot that I had told Mickey 14 years ago that I was never going to use drugs again. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. So I asked him, where's Norman? He said, Norman's dead. How about Vinny? Vinny's, uh, Vinny's living with his mom, can't hold down a job. He's not doing too well. Really? What happened to you? Well, his liver is all messed up. He had a stroke. He can hardly walk. He's all done. You see, something happened back then. God got a hold of my heart, and things began to change. But what happened then, at that point in time, when I was standing in the driveway with Mickey, very interesting thing happened to me. I began playing those movies, and I started adding lies to those movies. Like, you know, it really wasn't that bad. You know, those were the good old days, weren't they? And you know what? 
I started romancing those old times, and that was real trouble for me. I started adding lies to those movies. It's very dangerous. See, so it is so important as a recovering addict to choose what to dwell on. For 14 years, I had not even thought of that place. I hadn't wanted to go back to that place in my mind, but there I was. How did it start? How did I get this way? What happened? What happened to me? Well, let's go back. You know, many people, when they're in school, in grammar school, in high school, many parents would like to have their child do very well. Mm-hmm. And they encourage them to do sports and music and encourage them to get good grades. And I would say that when I was in school, that every parent would have loved to have had me as a child. I was very into sports, into music, into academics. In fact, by the time I'd graduated from high school, I graduated as class valedictorian. I was the senior class president. I earned many, many numerous awards and scholarships. The thing was, I looked good on the outside, so everybody would like me. And I tried so hard to impress people because I had a low self-esteem problem. That was trouble, because when I graduated, I didn't go to college. In fact, I hung around the town of Lincoln and began working as uh, a mechanic at the sh- local Chevrolet dealer- dealership, and then I poured concrete on the weekend to even make more money because, see, I had two cars at that point in time and was always trying to, I don't want to say, upgrade those cars. Keep your image going. Keep that image going. You know, look good on the outside, drive the nicest car in town, and all that kind of stuff. And I began drinking on the weekends. And this got worse and worse. Then I began drinking every night, heavily. And then I began drinking every night and every day at noon. And then, you know, of course, being a mechanic, that's not too red hot. Drinking at noon going back and doing a brake job on somebody's car, not too bright. Of course, I got fired from that job because of my drinking. And so there I was. So I decided to open my own construction company. And at that time, construction was booming really well. We had a whole lot to do, so we had to get it all done. And I started taking amphetamines, uh, little cross tops, those little white pills. You know, many of you know what they are. And we would eat those, and we would just uh, work all day, work into the dark, get up the next day, and go do it again, over and over and over. And then I got introduced to cocaine. And, of course, when you're in construction, you can find just about any drug you want. And when I got introduced to cocaine, I thought, uh, this was it. Boy, I I found my lost love. And I began dealing cocaine. And uh, friends came out of the woodwork that I didn't know I had. And... Now, all of a sudden, it didn't take much to impress people. I had friends all over the place. Wow, this was exciting. And it was a little dangerous, too, and that kind of excited me also. But things got worse and worse. I lost that business, started another one, lost it because of the drugs, and um, got into rock bands also. I was a member of several rock bands, local rock bands, and uh, the drugs were a great part of that scene too. So, um, but as things got worse and worse, uh, and I moved every two years because, you know, you don't pay your bills and you run and hide from people and you run and hide from the people that are trying to collect money from you. 
So every two years I moved, uh, or every one year, whatever it took, and I haven't counted how many times I've moved since the 80s, and, uh, but it's been over 15. Anyway, I got introduced into methamphetamine about uh, the mid-80s, and then uh, things got even worse. It ended up at the end of my addiction that I was living in downtown Sacramento here in a little one-room shack with a dirt floor, a keg of beer, uh, an old beer keg with the front cut out of it, and I had a sewer pipe running out the top of it, running out the window, and that's how I kept warm. I built my fires in this little beer keg. And I had the chemicals to cook the methamphetamine buried underneath my sleeping bag in this little one-room shack. And we don't want to glorify what our past was, but we just want the listeners to understand where we've come from. It's real important to see how far down we actually were. What do you think? Class valedictorian, senior class president, in a one-room shack with the chemicals to cook the methamphetamine buried under his sleeping bag. It's not what I had in mind when I graduated from high school, but that's what happened. It wasn't one choice. It was a series of seemingly insignificant small choices that led me to a place that I never would have chosen for myself the day I graduated. But there I was, laying face down on my bed, screaming at the top of my lungs for God to help me. You see, my life had been a speedboat going, going through a five-mile-an-hour zone, leaving a wake of destruction everywhere I went. I don't know how many people I hurt, but the Lord has revealed to me that he's forgiven me and that he will take care of me. And I turned to him, and you know what he told me? You know, he doesn't speak to us audibly sometimes, but it's that still, small voice. It's that, those impressions that you get, and it was this. It's not going to be easy, but it is simple. Simple but not easy. If you search for me, as hard as you searched for drugs, you're going to be all right. You're going to be just fine. Don't you just wish you could erase the past sometimes? And I don't know what you may be struggling with out there, and I don't know if you know somebody that may be struggling and you've lost hope. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. You know, God can erase the guilt and the shame, and that's why he came. He does not pin our past to us and use it against us. That's not the kind of God he is. So how far is too far, Susan? There's no place that we can end up that God's not willing to come and to save us from. That's right. There is no place. You know, I look back on the times. Uh, Susan and I both now have a, have a much better life together. We're, um, we're totally different in many different ways. And that life that we walked away from, it is a tough life to walk away Absolutely. from. Absolutely. And, and it's certainly not of our own doing that we're different. No, it is not. And the devil has you thoroughly convinced. He had me thoroughly convinced that that was what my destiny was. And I had bought the lie. Mm -hmm. That's the sad part about it. There are so many people out there that have bought the lie. And sometimes we buy that lie for the people that we know and love. We can look at family members that are struggling in addictions and say, you know what, they're never going to change. They've gone too far. They've been in jail way too many times. You know, but God is able to help the weakest 
person and to bring them to salvation. And we should never lose hope for for a, one person. That's right. Never give up on anyone. Uh, I remember Susan has told me time and time again that I was the guy that was never going to quit doing drugs. And she, Well, if I knew anybody that would never stop, it was Rich, because I just knew that I knew the way he was. I knew that he was settled in his life. And there was just, you know, I, I'm going to say the thing. I just knew there was no hope for him and that he was going to die an addict. That's kind of scary, isn't it? It is. And what happened was, uh, the funny the funny thing was, was when, when God revealed to me what had happened in my life, because, you know, you take inventory. There's got to be a time in one's life when they take inventory and look at what what they've done, what has gone on in their life. And I realized at that point in time when I cried out for God to help me, screaming at the top of my lungs because I was all done, that everything I'd done in my life up to that point was wrong. I, and that is a very difficult thing to grasp. It's very hard to grasp. You know, a friend of mine once told me as he was going into prison, that uh, that he kind of got in a little bit of a scuffle with one of the prison guards, and the prison guard finally had had enough with, of him and um, kind of shoved him up against the wall there, pointed the finger in his face and said, you think you're pretty smart, don't you? And my friend said, yeah, actually I do. And the prison guard said, well, this is what your best thinking got you. Prison. Think about it. You know, and... And when I reflect on my life, that's where I was at. And a lot of times we don't, we may not end up in a prison cell, but we are prisoners of our habits and our addictions. Have you ever seen one of those, uh, those guys going down the road on a, I call them a suicycle, but they've got the, uh, they've got the uh, front wheel pulled up. They're going down the freeway on the motorcycle and they're doing about 80 and, and maybe there's a couple of them and they're going down the freeway and, uh, it's a little bit scary, and everybody slowed down, kind of watching them. And well, one time I was on Highway 50 right over here in Rancho Cordova, and a guy came by, and he pulled that he pulled that wheel up, and he nailed it. And uh, a guy, and just behind him, guess guess what was happening? There was somebody with some red lights spinning, and uh, they were pulling him over. And I was thinking to myself, as this guy's going down the freeway with the wheel up, he's trying to kill himself. And I know what was in his mind because he's looking in the mirror and he sees the policeman trying to pull him over. And he's probably thinking that the policeman's there to get him in trouble. Well, he wasn't there to get him in trouble. That guy's already in trouble. The policeman was there to try to help him, to get him pulled over long enough so he wouldn't kill himself and kill somebody else. And that's when I realized that's all God was trying to do with me was get me pulled over long enough because I was trying to kill myself. God's not there to try to get us in trouble. We're already in trouble. But we run from him. We run from him just like that guy ran from the policeman. He didn't let him pull him over till he got way out to Folsom, which, was, as, as most of you know, is quite a ways away. He was running from the person that was trying to save him from killing himself. And that's what I had done with God my whole life. And that's what I mean when I said I had everything wrong. Everything up to this point 
in my life was wrong. I was running from the only one that could save me. And that's something that's very hard for someone that's 41 years old to realize. But there's hope. Christ is able to uplift the most sinful and place them where they will be acknowledged as children of God, joint heirs with Christ to the immortal inheritance. So, Susan, what are we going to talk about next time? Well, I'm going to be able to share a little bit about my story and the miraculous way that God um, pulled me out of the pit and uh, the, the wonderful things that he's done in my life. And um, I look forward to sharing that. And, and the reason why we're doing this program is so that we can uh, just offer hope and suggestions and, and um, give some, some tools so that people can learn how to change their lives. What kind of tools do we have? Well, right now we, we have a workbook that we're going to be going through, and it's called Clean Seven Steps to Freedom. Okay, wonderful. Uh, that's good. And when are we going to start going over that? That'll be uh, the following week after next week. Okay, so we're going to take a look at our workbook and stuff, and next week we're going to we're going to go through your story, your testimony, which is different from mine, but the same, if you know what I mean. Susan has a little bit bit different background than I do, but we kind of both ended up in the same spot, and uh, God was able to get us out, and that is incredible. That's right. We started this ministry because we recognized how much God had done for us and we had taken so much in our from in our lives you know I've I've stolen I've done so many things to hurt so many people and and we were impressed that it's time to start giving back and so that's what we want to do right now is we want to start to to give back to the community um, information and to let them know the power of God so that they can they can change their lives. And this program is for anybody and everybody for any type of addiction. Doesn't matter what it is. Name a few addictions. It could be anything from substance abuse to um, from like alcohol or drug addiction or food addiction to anything from resentment and anger and jealousy or gossiping. There's all kinds of things that rule our lives and keep us bound. And uh, God doesn't want us to be bound. He wants us to be free. He came to set the captives free. And that's wonderful because, you know, God is that kind of God. He not only wants us, uh, wants us to be with him for eternity, but he wants us to be well. And he wants us to have life and have life more abundantly here and now. He wants us to be free. You know, when I think of Jesus and how he went around healing and teaching, healing and teaching, and that... To me, when I think about that, this is what he did for us. That's right. He healed us us from our addiction, and now he's teaching us as we go along. And he's continuing to heal and continuing to teach. And what he's done for Susan and I is, by healing us, is he's given us the opportunity to recover the ability to think straight. And that is important. And that's all Jesus was doing back then, was going around healing so that people could think straight to be able to choose God. If you don't feel right, or if you're addicted to something, and you're so bound up in that addiction, the last thing on your mind is God. And so when Jesus heals us from these addictions, when Jesus heals us from these things that bind us, then we're able to think straight and choose him. And that's a nice feeling, isn't it? It is. It's peaceful, it's freedom, it's what God expected, the kind of life that God wants us to have here and now. So this uh, seven-step 
recovery workbook that we've got going. Uh, we're going to get into that in a couple of later programs. And w basically what it is, it's kind of our story in a nutshell on how we got clean and sober. And what we've done is we've put it into a workbook form, and it's available to anyone uh, for any type of addiction. I mean anger, jealousy, resentment, procrastination, you name it. Uh, you name it, it's those types of things can affect the way you behave and the way you treat people. And you can get it on www.justasiamministries.com. That's www.justasiamministries.com. Okay, well, I think it's about time we get going today. We're thankful that you guys stopped by out there, and we hope to see you again next week. Now remember, folks, there are only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle, and the other is like everything is a miracle, and you have the freedom to choose. Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There truly is hope for anyone whose life is in captivity and being overrun with the devastation of addiction. Rich and Susan are living testimonials and have created a seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Book for someone you know, or if you're a member of a church and you'd like to create a ministry in the area of addiction, Rich and Susan can help you get started. Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are blessed by people like you. 916-645-1297 or www.justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.